So, 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, we're working our way through 1 Timothy, and we slowly going through the first part because we want to make sure that we, we get everything straight. So what I want to do this morning is let's start off in verse 11. I'm going to read down through verse 16, and um, we'll see how far we get this morning. We left off in verse 14 last time, um, so I'm going to start here in verse 11. <clears throat> So 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Father, we thank you once again for your word. Uh, we thank you that you've preserved it throughout the years and ages, that we can have it, we can handle it, we can study it, uh, and then we can believe what your verses say and allow your word to work in and through us to put your life on display each and every day uh, that we might be to the praise and honor and glory of your grace and it's in Christ's name we pray amen now <clears throat> we got down through verse 14 and just as a reminder there's a lot of stuff that's been going on prior to this right Paul's telling Timothy there's going to be some problems there in, in Ephesus in fact it's already taking place. And he says, I, I, I want you to charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies. That was one of the things that Paul starts off with at the very beginning. He says, this is what I want you to be able to do. There are folks there in Ephesus doing those three things. And he says, I want you to charge some that they don't do that. And of course, one of the things that we talked about before is as you go down through here, what does those three things produce? Well, if you look at verse four, he says, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. So do now there's, there's a lot of things with that. And it's really interesting. You know, I've mentioned here before that there's a little Facebook group that I was a part of just to kind of see and gain an idea of, of what's going on out there in the world. Uh, it's a it's a Facebook group for pastors of small churches. So I just like I'm going to join this and just see what what these guys are struggling with. And there it's a mess out there. Can I tell you? Just just listen to some of these people. It's a mess. One of the things that they were doing is, and I'd mentioned this before, uh, but this was this was something different. Yesterday I saw a post where a guy said, "What do you all think of SermonCentral.com?" <coughs> And so what it is, is it's a website that you can go to and you can get based on a topic, you can go get a sermon and then they just deliver that sermon. And I'm thinking there's no study that's gone into this at all for yourself. And you're going to go blind teaching just what you see on the paper and you don't really think about what's going on. Another guy said, well, I just use it. And because you, you know how you get those self-righteous people's like, well, I do it, but I don't do it for that reason. I do it for other reasons. Well, that's what happens. So this guy says, I do it so I can get more stories. That's this issue of giving heed to fables. He's, the, the whole purpose there is, 
I want to get more stories that's going to go along with what I'm teaching so that I can give a story that somebody can use. That's not what we're looking for. He says, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies. Why? What do they do? Which minister questions rather than godly edifying. What is it that stuff's going to produce is not godly edifying. What we've, what we've convinced ourselves in the modern day churches is we need something relevant to keep people coming so that we can keep people in the seats, so we can keep people bringing money, all that stuff. That's the purpose of it. We know that. Paul is saying that Paul dealt, Paul dealt with this stuff in the past, and he's telling Timothy, this is going to happen here in Ephesus, and I, I, want, to, I want you to charge some that they don't do those things. You know, when we read 2 Timothy 2, 2 this morning, where he says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. <coughs> That's what Paul is doing, saying, Timothy, I want you to take the exact same thing that I've been teaching, and I want you to teach that and commit that to faithful men. Not guys that don't spend time studying the Bible, but find faithful men that he's that they're that you're willing to commit that message to. Don't change it, but give them exactly what they're supposed to do. Here's why. Notice in verse five. <coughs> now the end of the commandment. The commandment here is Paul is saying, I want you to charge some of the teaching of the doctrine. Here's that commandment. He said, Here now the end of the commandment. Here's the purpose. Here's the goal of it. Is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience, and a faith unfeigned. That's, that's the three things that Paul is saying. Replace the, the, the bad doctrine, replace the stories, and replace the genealogies with these three things. And then what's going to happen is you're going to have the right response. Notice in verse 6, he says, From which some having swerved to turn aside unto vain jangling. And then the issue comes up. What they're wanting to do is they're wanting to teach the law. Because with the law, you get, to, you get to hold people under the thumb and say, well, you're not performing right, so you must be out of the will of God, so you need to get back in the will of God, and I'm going to give you X, Y, and Z to do to get back in the will of God. And that's their purpose. The, the law for those folks is they're using it unlawfully. Now, we get over here to verse 11, and Paul is saying there's, there's some information. In fact, at the end of verse 10, um, he's dealing with some issues in verse 9 and 10 about the purpose of the law. <coughs> At the end of verse 10, he says, And if there be anything other, or if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Well, what is sound doctrine, Paul? According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Now, we've we've talked about that issue of godliness the majority of the of the of the times that the word godliness shows up is in paul's epistles so it's an important issue that we want to make sure that we keep in mind what is it that the other doctrine the fables the genealogies produce they don't produce godliness they don't produce godly edifying <coughs> proper understanding of scripture is what produces that now that gets us into whole bunch of other things what is godliness that is
proper worship. You know, we look around and we see worship out there. And what it is, is it's result of the emotions. Proper worship is godliness. And that's what we see going down through here. Notice verse 11. There's sound doctrine in verse 10. Verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus, the Lord, who hath enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Now, <clears throat> that gets us up to verse 14, where we were dealing with some stuff last week. Verse 14 says, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. <clears throat> now, last week we talked about that issue and we didn't get to get too far into it. So let's go take a look at some things real quick. Go back to Genesis chapter 7. <clears throat> and we're going we're gonna to look at some things and just kind of see, see an issue, hopefully. What does it mean that his grace was exceeding abundant? Now, last week we went through and we talked about when Paul uses that phrase, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And how what I was brought up in misuses that. <clears throat> and we found out what that was according to scriptures. Now notice here, Genesis chapter 7. <clears throat> um, let's just start here. Let's just start here in verse, verse uh, 16. All right. So in Genesis chapter 7, what takes place is <clears throat> we've got the flood. Notice in verse 16. And they, and they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. And the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark, and it was lift up above the earth. Notice this. And the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went upon the face of the waters, and the waters, notice, prevailed exceedingly upon the earth. And all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Can you imagine, <clears throat> can you imagine for a second, this earth completely covered in water to the point where you don't even see the mountains? That's what it means to be exceeding. And you notice he says this here, verse 19, and the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth. How much so? Even the mountains were covered. That when you think about that word exceeding, it's more than enough, right? So when we take a look at this, it's surpassing. It's more than you could ever imagine. We looked at it last week a little bit. <clears throat> it got to the point where you have the whole, notice it says, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. That's exceeding. And you stop and you think about that's that's that issue. Go to Exodus chapter 34. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 34. And again, we'll we'll see we'll we'll see the same kind of issue as we go through here and we start seeing a little bit more about about what's going on. Um, notice here in, the, in in Exodus chapter 34. <clears throat> let's start uh, let's start at verse verse five. All right, so. Where we are in chapter 34 here is Moses is getting the second table of the law. Notice in verse 5. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. 
and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and in truth. Now, you see this issue of the waters were exceeding, and here you have this issue of we find out that, that God's goodness and His truth is what? He's abounding in those things. So when we start looking at this issue of exceedingly and abounding, it's what? It surpasses what you need. It's, it's plentiful. It's overwhelming if you think about it. And so then we're going we're gonna to keep on, keep on going. Notice, go to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. And of course, again, this is just to get an idea of, of this issue of exceeding and abundant. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. Let's start here in verse 6. Now, of course, this is, this is talking to the nation of Israel. Um, and you can see that as you go through and, and take a look at the context. Notice in verse 5 it says, Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, and he hath glorified thee. So who, he, he's addressing here this, the, this, that there's going to be this nation. Notice here in verse 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Now there's a few things when you take a look at that. How abundantly will he pardon? He's going to forgive them all their sins one day. That's going to be part of what that's... You know, like what I grew up in, it was forgive to be forgiven. Ask God every day to be forgiven each day. But when I came to hear that God has already forgiven me all sins. By the way, you notice, you notice that where it says, for he will abundantly pardon. That's a future thing for them. And we've got it as a present possession. That's a great thing to know, but he's going to, how, how much is he going to pardon them? He's going to abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither your ways, my ways, saith the Lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. And you start looking at that stuff and you think, okay, the way that God looks at this stuff is he's going to abundantly pardon that nation one day, well, we've got it already today as a present possession. But how is he going to do that? It's going to be abundantly. And that's that issue of plentiful, more than enough, really, is the, is the idea, overflowing. Um, go real quick to Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> and we already looked at the one in, in, in Ephesians last week. But I want us to think about these things as we're going through Romans chapter five. This is this is, you know, and I've always said this. If you're reading the first 11 verses of Romans chapter five, you get this. You get this instance of verse one. He says you're justified by faith. 
Then he says we have peace with God. Then he says we have access by faith into grace. By the way, wherein you already stand. You rejoice in the hope of the glory in hope of glory of the, of, of the glory of God. He talks about the fact that when we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. God commended his love toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, he says, much more than being justified. There's some stuff that he's going to do. Verse at the end of verse 10, he says, Much more than much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. There's this issue of there's there's this stuff, but then here's more, and here's more, and here's more, and here's more. That's that issue of abundant and exceeding. Notice here in verse 15. And I, I you know, this is these are this passage through here, I, you know, if you ever get a chance, just read Romans chapter five. Um I've said try to read the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 5 and try to have a frown on your face because it's just, you can't, if you truly believe the verses, you can't, you can't be in a bad mood when you read the first 11 chapter, first 11 verses of Romans 5. But notice here in verse 15, <clears throat> but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. Well, we're going to find out what that free gift is here in a minute. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more. Do you see that word, that phrase, much more? That's that issue of exceeding and abundant. Much more, the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. When you, th when you stop and you think about that, <clears throat> in the context here right before this, he's talking about what? Verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Then from Moses to Christ, you've got the law that's added to that. Then after that, you've got what takes place the day of Pentecost after the death of Christ. Then you've got something that's completely different. And that's what we see here is this issue of much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many and not as it was by one that sinned so is the gift for the judgment was by one to condemnation but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification for if by one man's offense death reigned by one much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness and i love this part shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Question, when is that reigning taking place? Verse 17, and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. When does that gift of righteousness reign? In life, right now. His life being put on display through us, and we've talked a lot about that. But this gift of righteousness is going to reign right now. That, that's, and it's this issue of there's just more and more and more. Verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. 
Now you stop and you think about that. We said this a minute ago. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. From Moses to Christ, you've got the law. And of course, that's what Christ and the 12 and all those are preaching is, is the law. But notice this. He said, moreover, the law entered. Why? That the offense might abound. Well, the offense there is just sin. Now, what he's, he's not saying that God put the law out there so that, so that people would start sinning more. He put the law out there so people could recognize sin. We already looked at that in Romans chapter 3. By the time you get here to Romans chapter 5, Paul, and by the way, the Holy Spirit through Paul, would assume that you've already read Romans chapter 3. And he's saying, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. And again, that's not to say that God's causing people to sin and his law is making people sin, all that stuff. That's not what he's saying. But what's abounding there was sin. But notice, but where sin abounded, and again, <laughs> the wording here, grace did much more abound. You know, you stop and you think about during that during that period of, of, of the law, what's taking place is you've got sin. People recognize this is sin because this is what the law says is sin. But what's interesting is when sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Whatever, you know, there, there's a saying that says you can't out-sin God's grace. And it's true because of that right there. No matter what, what do we have more abundantly is what? His grace. Now, that's what Paul's talking about back over there, and, and we'll see this in a second. Verse 22, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. You see this issue of, of the abundance, the abounding, the exceeding, and also you see here this issue of, of reigning as well. Uh, so go back to First Timothy with, with that thought process in mind and, and looking at what the Scripture actually tells us about abundance and exceeding. We see those things through Scripture, and we get a perfect good idea about it without going to stories or anything. We look at what the verses say about that. What is it that abounding, what is it that exceeding looks like in Scripture? We can see that. But notice here, verse 14. <clears throat> And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. Now you stop and you think about that. We'll go back and look at this again. That issue of godliness, where does it start? Is grace. Now, two things. Notice he says, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. Now, according to Romans 5, why would grace be more exceeding abundant? where sin abounded, right? Well, if you look, what does he just get through saying in verse 13? Who is before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Where, what was Paul abounding in? <laughs> he was abounding in sin. And Christ comes along and he says, my grace is much more going to abound. Notice, and we see that, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. Now, a couple things real quick. Get 1 Corinthians 15 in one hand and get Romans chapter 5 in the other. 
So 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans 5. We spent a little bit of time in Romans 5 last week as well, but I want, I want us to be able to put these things together, um, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll see this, how it ties in with, with verses 15 and 16 as well once we get there. But notice, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, about a year or so ago, you know, you know how you read scripture, and then one day something just clicks, and you're like, I never thought of it that way before. That's what happened with this. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 8. And, of course, this is, this is talking about the resurrection of Christ and the witnesses of it. Notice in verse 8, And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that am meet that I'm not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Verse 10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace, which by the way, was exceeding, abundant, right? That was the issue, it was exceeding. And His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I. So here's the thing I want us to think about. <clears throat> what does this grace produce is what? Labor. Paul says that the, I, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And because of his grace, I am able to do what? He says, I labored more abundantly than they all. Well, who's the they all in the context? Are the other apostles and the 500 that saw Christ and all that? He said, I labored more than they did. And, and, and you see that he says, I labored how? More abundantly than they all. And I love this part, yet not I. But it's what? It's the grace of God which was with me. What was it that produced the work in Paul was the grace. The way that Paul was able to labor exceedingly is because of the grace that God bestowed upon him. The grace that was working exceeding in him. Romans chapter 5. As we go down through here, and as we've talked about before, what do we know about Paul he is a pattern. So if we look at how he did this, then we should be able to accomplish what he did. Notice in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right. So the first thing is, what do we notice here? We're justified. All right. Now, let me pause here for a second where it says, therefore being justified by faith. Is that justification a process because of the word being? The answer is no. That being right there is saying what? It is a fact that you are justified by faith. And since you are justified by faith, what do we have? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's the real issue, verse 2. 
by whom, the whom there is Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. So when we take a look at this grace, we're already standing there. That's our position because of who, who Christ has made us. That's part of the, the identification stuff, right? This is where we stand. How do we get to that? Well, what's the verse say? By whom, Christ, also we have access by faith into this grace. So what do we do is, how do we access that grace is by faith because we're in him. Since we're in him, we have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. There's nothing that we need to get. We have it all. We even have this grace because we're in him. Well, how is it that we gain access to that grace is by faith? Well, what's faith? Taking God at his word. So when God says something about you, for instance, if God says, chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Do you believe that you have peace with God? And that's a judicial peace where God will never hold anything against you ever again. That's what he's talking about. When you talk about grace and peace, right? The whole, the whole issue with, with, with dispensational truth today is God is showing forth his grace and his peace rather than judgment and war. There is no enmity between us and God now. He's taken that away. He took that away, not us. He took that away because we're in his son. Can he be at enmity with his son? The answer is no. And so then when we start thinking about these issues of who we are in Christ, that's where that happens. He says what? <clears throat> we have peace with God. There's no againstness. There is no enmity anymore. When we look at that, that's that position. Do we believe that by faith? Do we agree with what God says about us in Romans 5.1? That's how you access it, right? You believe it. That's it. What's the only thing you can do without doing something is believing. You know, we've said it before. Colossians chapter 2 says, verse 6 says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Well, how did we receive Christ Jesus the Lord? By faith in what God's word said. How do we walk? By faith in what God's word said. There's nothing different. He's not saying, okay, now you got to start performing. It's just trust what the verse says. And you look, by, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We're, we're already there because we're in his son. And now he says, go access those things. Well, how do we do that? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. <clears throat> When we, when we talk about these things, when we talk about these things, this, this verse always comes up. Um, and I think it's really important for us to be able to do this. Let's start here in verse 10. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. Paul's talking to the folks in Thessalonica. Notice he says, Ye are witnesses, and God also. How holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Now, who is the we there? Well, Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus, chapter 1, verse 1, that's who's pinning the book. That's, those are the ones who are there doing the work. And what's he say? Your witnesses, God also, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably behaved, we behaved ourselves among you that believe. How is it that those three men were able to behave holily, justly, and unblameably? Are they holy because they're in Christ? Yes. Are they unblameable because they're in Christ? Yes. Are they holy and just because they're in Christ? Yes. So how did they do that? Well, look at verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us. So what's the issue? What is it that they received? The word of God. The fact that they received it says what? They placed their faith in it. They've trusted it. They're trusting wholly and completely and totally on the words themselves. That's why we care so much about what the words on the page say. Because it's God's word that's going to do this. Notice, when you receive the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. <clears throat> Well, what do you have to do with the Word of God? You have to believe it. When you believe it, what happens? It works. And what that does is it produces something. Just as our pattern Paul did here. And he's telling the folks in Thessalonica, when you trust what the Word of God says, you access who you are in Christ, that will produce something in you. We're not producing. It's that issue of what? Yet not I. Who's producing the work? Christ is. And you look at that and say, that's a wonderful thing because it's not our power, but it's his power. It's his word working in and through us. All right, go back over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. <clears throat> and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. But notice, it's not just the grace of the Lord that's exceeding abundant, but it's exceeding abundant with what? Faith and love. Well, where is this? Which is in Christ Jesus. The exceeding grace and faith and love is there. And when God, when we trust what God does, he places us into living union with Christ. And that's where we get that. And he says, let my word work in and through you to produce that. Notice verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom 
I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy. Why? That in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now, if we look at verse 15 and 16, of course, I'm looking at the clock and we're not going to have time to get into all this. But when we're going through verse 15 and 16, there's an issue there here. First of all, he starts off, says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Um, you know, there's quite a few times Paul uses that phrase. And we, we've gone through and looked at all those. But what he's saying is what? That what I'm saying is a faithful saying. And it's worthy of all acceptation, which means what? It's worthy of you accepting it. There's a reason why he does what he does in verse 15 and 16, but it's coming off the heels of what he's talking about in verses 12, 13, and 14 here. Right? When we take a look at this issue, the proper worship, the godliness that we find out through here, God does something specifically through Paul that was not prophesied before, wasn't taught before, wasn't even hinted at until it was revealed to him through Paul. And he's saying there's something that God's doing by placing Paul in Christ. He was the first person that God did that with. All right. Now, that gets into a whole, whole other can of worms. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But because of that... Paul has an opportunity to labor, but it's God that's working through him to do that labor, to create that work, to produce that. And it's that the only way that it can be done is because the grace of God was exceeding abundant with faith and love. And where is that? It's in Christ Jesus, right? So when we think about this issue, it's not up to us to go and perform stuff. It's just go read the book and believe it. And don't worry about trying to make it work. Just allow it to work. Get out of its way. Colossians says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and prudence. It's not just, it's not just us reading a verse saying, okay, how can I go make that happen? It's, I'm going to read a verse and say, Lord, I believe that. And I'm looking forward to the day that you make that happen in my life. Because he's the one doing the work. Right? We know in Philippians it's what? The he that begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. He's doing the work. Let his word do the work. Let his word be exactly what it is, and that's exceeding abundant. And the issue there is what? It's surpassing, it's plentiful, and it's overflowing. It's more than we could ever imagine, and we just got to get out of his way and let his word work because he's not going to overpower our will and make us do things. We've got to... Allow the scriptures to take care of itself. Just believe the verses, right? And then we'll, we'll be able to see why that takes place in verse 15 and 16, why that's an important issue coming to that, all right? Okay, <clears throat> questions, comments, concerns. We'll stop there. We'll pick up at verse 15 um, next week.